Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm a best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is an agency based in the UK. This show is all about helping you generate more leads and sales from your website and also keeping you safe in the process. And on that topic, this episode, I'm delighted to introduce Samuel Scott. And now he's here to talk about something that I read an article which he wrote about in The Drum, uh, which is called GDPR. And this is a big piece of EU legislation which could potentially absolutely transform the very essence of what we're doing with digital marketing. So anybody who's running Google Analytics, anyone who's collecting email addresses, running AdWords, doing Facebook ads, all of these things could be heavily impacted by some new legislation that's coming out on the 25th of May, 2018. And I think when you hear the implications of of what this thing could be about, you'll be staggered that there is not more attention around this. Um, So fascinating chat with Samuel. He talks all about what GDPR means. And we also get into a bit of an argument between brand building and direct response as well. But that's standard for the Exposure Ninja podcast. So I hope you really enjoy the episode. And don't forget to check out the free website and marketing review, which we run on our site, which is all about helping you generate more leads and sales. So you fill in the details. We'll provide a 20 minute video that shows you how to generate more leads and sales. We'll take apart your competitors advertising as well, show you how well it's working and uh, plan you out a roadmap that you can follow to increase the leads and sales that you're generating in 2018. So go to ExposureNinja.com in order to request that. That's ExposureNinja.com. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show with Samuel Scott. Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Maybe for those who haven't read you in the drum or seen you at a conference, perhaps you could give a bit of an intro into who you are and what you're all about. Sure, I'll give you a very brief introduction. My first career, I was a journalist and a newspaper editor in America. And then I went into marketing, had various agency in-house consulting roles. And now I am a promotion fixed columnist for The Drum. My column comes out every two weeks. And I'm also a keynote uh, marketing speaker at conferences around the world. And can I just mention I'm booking dates now for 2018. So if anyone's interested, feel free to uh, look me up. Awesome. Awesome. And you're kind of known for cutting through the bullshit, aren't you? I try to. Uh, the sad fact is it's it's actually not that difficult of a job because there's so much of it in the marketing <laughs> world. <laughs> there is indeed. There is indeed. Um, today, we're going to be talking about something which I first read about in your column on the drum, uh, GDPR. It's something pretty big that's happening. And I don't think anyone probably listening to this show is going to be prepared for the magnitude of what is uh, apparently about to happen on the 25th of May 2018. So perhaps you could give us a bit of an intro into exactly what GDPR is. Sure, I'll be happy to. Uh, Basically, GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation, and it is essentially a goal by the EU government or EU commission, I I believe, basically to stop all non-consensual tracking of consumers within the EU. And it sounds like a pretty broad and, you know, very big goal, and it's got some teeth behind it. Uh, Basically, here's what this regulation will do. Basically, for anyone who is physically located in the EU, not data centers, but people who are physically located in the EU, 
any company that wants to track their personal data for marketing or other purposes has to get their opt-in consent to be tracked, basically, to have their data be harvested, stored, and used. That's the first thing. And it's not just, you know, ticking the little box in the terms of service and hiding this I consent language in, G in, in the terms of service. This is likely going to be a pop-up that will have to appear on everyone's screens going, do you give this company consent to uh, collect your personal data? Uh, do you consent to all tracking or just first-party cookies, just third-party cookies? It will give you options. And people will have to click to choose one of these options or just say, I want no tracking, none of it. That's the first thing. Consumers will have to give opt-in consent starting on, yes, May 25th, 2018. The second thing is that uh, consumers can withdraw their consent at any time for any reason at any point in the future. And companies have to agree with that. And what they have to do is uh, any consumer can request or actually demand that companies erase all of their collected data and companies have to do it. That's the third thing. The final thing is that basically, okay, so you know what we've seen whenever we hear of data breaches, whereas, you know, say uh, Uber is hacked or, you know, Yahoo was hacked. You know, we always hear about these massive breaches of data years after the fact. So what GDPR does on, on the fourth point is it mandates that companies basically publicly admit that they've been breached, that people's personal data has been breached, and to give a timely accounting of what happened, what exactly happened, whose information was accessed, what they're doing to fix the problem, and so on. They can't do it five years later when everyone forgets it happened. They have to do it straight away as soon as possible. So those are the four main points of this GDPR regulation. And what it comes is, is it comes with teeth that if any company is found to be not in compliance with this EU regulation, the EU can charge them either 20 million euro per violation or 4% of total global top line revenue from the entire preceding calendar year. It's whichever of those two is larger. That's per violation. So if one person in France uh, you know, thinks that, you know, I'll just say Google, just, you know, for an example company, you know, improperly, you know, is harvesting their data without their consent. They can file a complaint. And if the EU finds Google to be in violation, that one violation, again, 20 million euro or 4% of all global company top line revenue or turnover, I think, as you say in the UK. So this is absolutely huge, isn't it? Perhaps just to give it a bit of context, let's take something like Google Analytics, which pretty much every single website uses, and at the moment, user consent is kind of implied. Is Google Analytics going to be affected by this? Uh, that is a very good question because uh, people, uh, when you use an app like Google Analytics, you uh, you know do have to agree to their terms of service, and thereby you have to agree that Google will be you know using some information. Now, the problem is it's not just for even a single app like Google Analytics, take any given, uh, you know, what's called like a MarTech stack or an ad tech stack of platforms. The other major point of GDPR is what's called potability. It means that whenever personal data is transferred along a stream of um, MarTech platforms, you know, from, you know, this platform collects the data, this one parses it, this one stores it, this one analyzes it, this one, you know, generates insights. So what, what people will have to do is, you know, 
they will have to opt in to give their consent to have their data be processed through every single step for every single platform along the way and down the chain. So basically, it's going to greatly disrupt, and I, even though I hate that word, it's going to disrupt ad tech and martech because every single company that touches any person's data at any point will have to get that person's opt-in. So again, it's not just a, even a single app like Google Analytics. It's all apps at any point along the marketing uh, food chain. So pretty much everyone who is doing any sort of digital marketing at the moment is not compliant with this, right? Because if we're doing, if we've got, might have a Facebook pixel on our site so that we can run Facebook ads and build an audience, we might have Google pixels for Google audiences and remarketing. We might be building an email list. If we use a CRM like Infusionsoft, it might be tracking page views so that we can send people targeted content. So what's happening at the moment is pretty much everyone is falling foul of this. And then when the rules come in, we're all going to be in trouble, right? Yes, exactly. Because according to some research I found from Princeton University, uh, Google has tracking on about uh, 75% of the, you know, open the public internet, not the, you know, weird dark web stuff. But Google has, you know, some kind of tracking on 75% of the web. And Facebook is number two with 25%. So what happens is if you uh, as a marketing uh, agency or company or what have you, if you, you know, have Google a tracking script on your website, then that means in order to use that data, you'll have to get the opt-in from every, I'm sorry, both you, your company and Google will have to get opt-in from the people coming to your website and then, you know, supplying their, their personal data. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, this is, this is going to be huge, isn't it? And I know Google must be working frantically behind the scenes to get some kind of, you know, opt-in consent thing popping up when you visit a site with analytics. But well, what I've seen so far is that, um, and again, it's not, I can't trace it directly to Google or Facebook or what have you, but we've started to see PR play uh, basically with these two companies that these two companies, I predict, are going to start flooding Trade marketing trade publications with bylined articles and columns and planted stories and what have you, arguing that GDPR is going to be bad for consumers and bad for the marketing industry and just, you know, bad, bad for everyone when it's going to be complete and utter bullshit. I mean, to be honest, but, you know, but this should have Google and Facebook very, very scared because think about it. Facebook and data's business is not me and you. Facebook, I mean, it's like, we're not the customers. Obviously, we all know this. Uh, it, Facebook and Google collect our information and then sell it to advertisers or to who else? You know, you know we're the product, uh, not, the, not the customers. But think about even the bigger implications of this. Think, you know, think about the whole high-tech world, the whole startup world. How many companies out there um, say they have a certain business, but their actual business is using that other business as a front to collect data. For example, what there, there was a story, uh, a company called Unroll.me, I believe. Um, it's this uh, platform where you know analyzes your email for like you know spam email subscriptions, and it says you know you know one click to unsubscribe from all this crap. You know a lot of people use it, so th that's a front. Uh, what that company does is provide this service, but what people don't realize, and this is all public information, you can Google it. What this company has been doing is actually scanning people's emails for uh, records of using Uber or using Lyft or what have you. And what this company has done is then is selling information on these people to Lyft, 
to try and, you know, so Lyft can use that data to try and get these people to stop using Uber and go to Lyft. Uh, that's the real business of unroll.me. And if this, again, you can look it up online. It's, uh, it's ingenious, but it's also freaking scary. <laughs> and I mean, really? So think about how many tech companies out there are doing the same thing. Again, all of their scripts and products and whatever, it's all front just to collect data. Basically, the high-tech world is a bunch of data collection companies. That's the real business model. They collect data and they sell it. So think about what's going to happen on May 26, 2018, when all of a sudden, all this data that these companies have been collecting forever is now illegal and no longer valid, and they had to just gut it all and start from scratch. All these valuations and stock prices and are going to go down. I mean, I don't, I mean, that, I'm not a finance guy, but I would, you know, really be surprised if the valuations were not affected because what GDPR is going to do is, is to tell these companies any information you have collected on people living in the EU that you have collected prior to May 25th, 2018 is now gone. It's illegal to have. So any data that marketers have or companies have, they have to just gut all of that data and again, start from zero after getting opt-in consent. Uh, one article I found estimated that 75% of marketing data in the UK is going to be rendered obsolete when GDPR goes into effect. Hmm. It's, but it's, I mean, obsolete is one thing. It's actually, I think I saw you, you describe it somewhere as actually being toxic, isn't it? Because if you have that data, you're now in trouble. So the people that have collected that data, is, is that right? Oh, yes. I mean, this data could become a, a toxic, toxic asset because, you know, we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of, you know, personal data and tracking. I'm not even sure every company even knows the extent of their tracking operations anymore. You know, how many how many people in Google know exactly where data is being collected from where and by who and who's it on? I mean, you know, companies could be exposed to many, many liabilities and not even know it because they've just assumed that things will go on as usual and they can just keep collecting and selling this data, you know, personal data on us. And so I think a lot of companies don't even realize that they have these liabilities, 20 million euros a pop. It's going to get expensive, even for a company like Facebook. I guess, you know, something like Facebook, the, the advertising platform without the data, you know, that, that's Facebook's biggest asset, isn't it? Facebook without the advertising platform is really not an appealing stock. <laughs> the, the numbers don't look very good, do they? So they, they must be working extremely hard on this. Well, I would love to be a fly on the walls of, um, you know, their, you know, big conference rooms, uh, maybe an off the record <laughs> fly even. But yeah, I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm sure they're talking about it. I'm sure more and more people are, go are going to be talking about this as May, the May deadline approaches. But I don't see, I see tech people actually, I'm sorry, I see tech people talking about this. But mm. I don't see marketing people talking about this. Um, I, I can tell you in the, in the drum, they've done estimations and something like, uh, what was the last article I saw was 60% uh, of marketing agencies today still haven't even freaking heard of GDPR, let alone actually worked at being in compliance with it. Um, and it was wow. something like, yeah, and it was something even a higher percentage. I think said that if they got one uh, claim, one successful claim against them, they would go out of business. Like a greater percentage of that of of agencies or consultancies or what have you. That you know, one hit from GDPR and they're done. They're out. They're bankrupt. We we kind of saw something to a much lesser extent with the cookie law. There were 
kind of claims that this is going to be Armageddon and everything was going to be, you know, terrible. And then in the end, it kind of seemed a bit watered down and we just install a plugin and everything is fine. Is there any chance that A, this won't happen or B, it won't be as, um, as, as bad as it, as it seems? I assume you're speaking about um, whenever people, you know, whenever anyone visits a website uh, in the EU, there's always a disclaimer: this site uses cookies. You know, do you do you accept? That's what you're referring to, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Okay, so it's. I mean, it'll be something similar, but it'll be even more. Uh, here's mm. how I explain that: it's it's not you're not you're just not going to tick a box and go, oh yeah, okay, I give you consent, whatever. It's it's more than that. The box about uh, cookies is just do you agree? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Done. But what GDPR, as far as all predictions um, say, is that what GDPR is going to mandate is that when you see this pop up, it's not going to be just, you know, this site, you know, may collect data, whatever. Do you agree? You know, it's not going to be that simple. It's going to give you a list of options. I believe it's four options. Uh, the options are, yes, I agree to uh, data, to all data tracking and what have you. It'll say, yes, I agree to only first party tracking only third-party tracking, or it's um, I I accept you know all tracking. So you know obviously you know we know about cookies and scripts and data collection, but you know when um, Bob Smith in Cornwall, I don't know if that's a standard uh, British <laughs> name, but but I think the doctor used it actually. No, that was John Smith. He used John Smith. Yeah. So take take uh, John Smith in Cornwall. If he wants to go to a website and he sees you know what level of data tracking you know. Do you agree, you know, for this website to use? He's going to go, what the hell? And he's not going to know what that means. So he, he might start research. He might be, start reading articles about, you know, how his data is being used. And he might just be, get really freaked out. And, you know, and that's, I'll just say, no, no, get me out of here. Uh, because the more I think that GDPR will be something that will really inform, you know, the, the common man to use a for lack of a better phrase, but things like that will really start to inform the public, you know, to the extent that, you know, tech companies are collecting and selling their personal data. You know, on some level, I think people know it, but they don't want to face that. And I think now they're actually going to finally face it as of GDPR and how it will make them, it'll, GDPR will force them to make a choice as to how open they want their personal data to be. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've always taken the position with with personal data that I'm happy for my info to be shared as long as it's anonymized, if it gives me a more relevant experience online. So, you know, Facebook ads, I'd rather see ads for stuff that's of interest to me than than is not interesting to me as, you know, selling smoking stuff or PPI. Or, you know, I'd rather see products that I, I've checked out before. So, I guess we're we're forcing the public here to make a choice. Do you want a really intensely personalized experience online? And if so, there's going to have to be a data trade-off for that. But like you say, if you're faced with those four options and one of them says no tracking, that is, in that moment, that is the safest and easiest option to choose, isn't it? And I guess the second safest option is just to leave the site completely. It's just a bounce. So the chances that people are going to make that choice in that moment to accept the level of tracking that we're currently used to is absolutely minuscule, surely. Uh, yeah, actually. Well, uh, just to give you an example, uh, one of the studies I cited in my talk on this topic in London and in Turkey, I believe it was 5%. So uh, a company did a study where they mimicked you know, the pop-up that GDPR is going to force websites to show uh, to do like a sort of like an a b test you could say and what it did was it it showed them you know the options and it said you know let's see how many people click on what 
So they did a lot of web, they did a lot of testing and it turned out that only 5% of uh, website visitors agreed to all tracking and data collection. Basically only 5% of website visitors in this, in this study agreed to the same level of unrestrained tracking that exists today. 75% said, uh, I'm sorry, 95% said, uh, no, thank you to one degree or another. So listeners who are used to running analytics and all of that sort of stuff, what are we going to have to do here? Is it as simple as just installing a pop-up and hoping that people say yes? Or are we going to be moving to an internet where we're essentially flying a bit blind? Like we, we, can't, we can no longer rely on things like conversion tracking and retargeting lists and all of this stuff. Are we going to be rolling back to whatever, 1997 before all of this stuff existed? As a rule, I don't like to predict the future. I like to sort of posit scenarios because, you know, I'm not a psychic or anything. <laughs> but um, but one, one thing that since you mentioned, you know, A-B testing and whatnot, I'll tell you another example. The GDPR regulation, as it currently is written, doesn't distinguish between first party cookies and third party cookies in terms of um, like data collection and, and tracking. So what, what that means is things like, um, you know, cur- currency uh personalization for a user or A-B testing, or, um, you know, if a site remembers a logged in user and wants to give a user, you know, a similar, a different experience the next time he comes, all of those things, you know, people have to opt in to allow that. So even something as simple as A-B testing will no longer be able to be done just by default. Uh, to do A-B testing, then you'll have to gain, again, gain the opt-in consent from everyone who visits the website uh, and then with, when your test fires, they'll have to ask for their, their permission, their consent. So, um, I mean, I, I don't want to go overboard and say, you know, it's going to just completely kill analytics. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, we have to be aware that we're going to lose a lot of data once GDPR hits. And that's not always to me a bad thing because uh, for a couple of reasons. One. Um, people don't realize that we've already lost a lot of data. Just for example, at a prior company, my job was director of marketing for a, a log analysis company, a log analysis software platform. And one thing I found was that when you actually look at the backend server side logs, uh, which is the most accurate source of website traffic information, it is vastly different from what you see in, in a front end platform like Google Analytics. Basically, analytics is not accurate for the reason because of ad blockers. Ad blockers don't only block ad networks, they also block all or most front-end website scripts from loading. I'm talking about things like HubSpot, Marketo, uh, website, Google Website Optimizer, again, yeah, ad, ad networks, social media platforms, um, basically all of these front-end scripts. If you use any of the major ad blockers, then you're by default blocking those those MarTech platforms as well, without you even realizing it. So if you're using Marketo or HubSpot or what have you, then everyone who visits your website using an ad blocker in the browser, uh, that's cutting off their data from Marketo and HubSpot. So you're not getting that data uh, because the scripts that you put on your browser aren't loading. They're being blocked. So we've lost a lot of data already, but most people don't realize that. And one thing I saw as well is that 25% of the world on average is using a VPN, which is just, you know, spoof imposter data. You know, I'm not saying I do it, of course, but if somebody in Israel wants to uh, watch the Netflix US library, can fire up a VPN, fill the web you know, with the spoof imposter data, and every Netflix is going to think that he's, you know, on, in Los Angeles or whatever. So I use VPN myself, you know, not for Netflix, obviously, but 
every time I, I every time I browse the internet, you know, every website I visit, they think I'm living in Los Angeles. Yeah. And so, because here's the thing, even though I used to work in marketing and now I write and speak about marketing, but even though I used to work in marketing, I've got four ad blockers, script blockers and a VPN on my browser because I don't want people like me to have access to my personal <laughs> data. I saw also some, some data, I think it was in one of your presentations about millennials and, and is it 63% of millennials are using ad blockers? So it seems like this is something that is becoming more and more of a thing than obviously Apple announcing that Safari would remove tracking cookies after 24 hours or something. So you kind of get the impression that this is where things are going. It's just obviously, you know, it's all coming at once and it's coming much quicker than I think most people are expecting. Right. Well, I mean, the reason is, and this shouldn't really surprise anyone, but the thing is we in the marketing world live in a bubble. I'll be honest. You know, like when, when you just said, you know, well, I like a personalized web experience. If, even if I have to give a little bit of data, uh, well, again, you're talking like a marketer, you know, again, <laughs> John Smith and Cornwall doesn't think like that. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to give his data to some creepy, weird tech people he's never met in his life. Um, so, you know, your average person out there doesn't want to supply to their data floating around. Marketers tend to not really mind it so much because we're around it all the time. We're used to it. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we're acclimated, you know, to this world. But again, we're, you know, 0.001% of the, of the population. Most, uh, there was a study again. Yeah, this is in my G GDPR presentation was that I believe it was the University of Pennsylvania. I, I forget who, but it was a study that said that went to, you know, an, a general audience and said, you know, um, <clears throat> do you want uh, targeted advertisements based on your, based on what uh, companies know about you? That was, it was a, it was phrased very general. And it was something like 62% uh, said, no, no, I don't want, you know, targeted ads based on my data. But that was just the beginning. Then what uh, UPenn did was they went to the same people and said, okay, so now here's more information about how exactly all these companies are collecting your data and using it. And when you actually tell people how their data is being collected and harvested and used, that percentage jumped up to something to close to 80% that they don't want targeted ads. Hmm. Again, it's, it's uh, the, you know, a, a basic principle in marketing is called market orientation. We can't think like marketers. We, have, we need to think like the consumers to whom we are marketing. Uh, you know, if, if you want to know what the public thinks about data collection and tracking, talk to, well, again, John Smith and Cornwall. Don't talk to other marketers. Yeah, this is very true. It's, um, it's a constant reminder watching user testing videos of the general public and seeing actually that, you know, how... how the rest of the population uses the internet is very different. And I guess this, this we've kind of been through this before, haven't we? This is why spam laws are in place, because marketers are given a technology and then we push it as far as we possibly can. Oh, yeah, make yeah. As much money as possible <laughs> until it starts annoying the general public. Then the government has to come in and legislate it all out. And then we kind of start from scratch and we'll find something else. We'll ruin it. And we'll just go through this cycle forever and ever, I guess. Right. Well, there, there is a way out of the cycle, actually. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go into a little bit of marketing theory. Uh, so just humor me for a, like, you know, half a minute. You know, there've always been two main categories of advertising, what's called advertising, advertising, and direct response or direct marketing. Direct marketing, you know, is junk mail or now email. It's ads you see, like, you know, people, you know, giving away free pets, you know, on a post on, on the street, you know, it's, 
telemarketing is direct response for the most part. Um, again, so direct marketing is uh, highly targeted um, adverti- advertising on, on a personal basis. That, but the pro side is it's actually able to be tracked. You know, we can we've always been able to track telemarketing or direct mail or catalogs or what have you. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have advertising or you know brand advertising, you could call it. And this is what you see usually usually on TV and billboards and radio and whatnot. <clears throat> and and the point the point of direct marketing is to get a direct response. That's why it's called direct response. You know, to call that toll-free number, to clip that coupon, to fill out the sales catalog and mail it back, you know, to reply to an email, to click on something. You know, the point of direct of the direct response is to get a a direct response. Now, the point of at most advertising is to build a brand in people's heads over the long term. The, the pro side of advertising is that it's, it's memorable. I remember ads I saw 30 years ago. I don't remember any direct response blog spam or Facebook ads that I see today or yesterday even. But the con side of advertising, of brand advertising, is that's not trackable. You can never, ever, ever get a precise sales figure on how many sales you got from this TV ad. You'll never be able to do it. Um, the reason is just two people are, human beings are just too complex and you can't ever track that. So basically 20 years ago, the web decided to go all in on direct marketing, on direct response, because the technology allowed us finally to track everything. And we did. So we tracked everything. And now we're tracking people. But the thing to remember is that people always hate direct marketing. That's why it's called junk mail or email spam. Nobody likes it. I mean, uh, yeah, you can track ROI, you can try and increase the conversion rate. But at the end of the day, people think this is all crap. I'm biased. I have my own views as a marketer, but people have always taught. Okay. So people hate direct marketing, but they tolerate advertising because it's not offensive. It's not tracking you. It's not jumping in front of you saying, do this now, do this now. It just sits there on your screen or on a billboard. You walk by it, whatever. Okay, fine. Um, so, the, so people hate direct marketing, but they, they tolerate advertising because once in a while, Advertising is really funny or really insightful or informative, something that elicits a good response. No one ever got a good response from direct marketing. So, oh, oh, <laughs> sorry, that's direct never response rant. marketer in me has to disagree. I mean, we, we see things like people fast forwarding ads and TV. Like, imagine if I don't know if you know the Go Compare ads, but there's ads that are annoying. Like if, if you said to people, how many, you know, how many of you guys want to see ads during commercial breaks? Like how many of you value that? It's got to be pretty low. And you, maybe you see a, an ad on Instagram for a product and you like the look of it and you click through and buy. So surely if direct advertising works, then a percentage of people aren't being annoyed by that. And that percentage are really the ones that the advertiser is going after. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. So say you send uh, a piece of direct marketing collateral, could be email, could be Instagram ad or a Facebook ad, whatever, it doesn't matter. Say you send this collateral to a thousand people, you get a 1% response rate, which is crap. 10 people, 100 people. I'm, yeah. I'm a marketer because I don't do math. I'm a writer. <laughs> so, so, okay, so, <laughs> so, so, you know, you send this direct marketing collateral to a thousand people. You get a 1% response rate, but what we don't realize is um, the other 99% you've, you, uh, are annoyed by it and they look at your brand in a bad way, uh, in, like in, in their heads. It's, it's called signaling versus uh, precision. It's uh, like people build perceptions of brands in their heads 
based in part on how that brand is advertising. If a company advertises to you through really, really cheap and you know gaudy methods like you know stuffing flyers under your door, you're going to th- subconsciously think that that brand is that that company is bad. That that's called signaling because the type of marketing method signals the value of the brand. Now. If a, if a company, you know, has the money and the creative capacity to put a big ad on TV, then that signals that the company is a high quality company because the marketing is high quality. So here's the thing. So, so the signaling, that, that's the term for it. You know, sure, you can say we got a 1% uh, conversion rate on that direct marketing campaign. But you've signaled to the other 99% of people that your, your brand is cheap and tawdry. Uh, now, is that really the best thing to do for long-term growth? I would argue no. So let's take, for example, an, uh, say a solicitor's firm. Do you mean salespeople? I, <laughs> solicitors? No, no, sorry. I mean like a lawyer. Oh, a lawyer. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So a, a small lawyer's practice, and um, they obviously don't have necessarily the advertising budget to do a large brand campaign or, or get to the stage where there would be a memorable name. But mm. what they can do is they can run some PPC ads for something like PPI claims. And we've done exactly this and got a 33% conversion rate on a free consultation about PPI. So that's a direct advertising method, isn't it? Because we're, we're generating a lead for, for something that's you know, we're generating a lead, we're running an ad very specifically to do that thing. So how does a, you know, how is it possible for a solicitor's, uh, a solicitor's or lawyer's firm to, to get a better response from, than that from, from an advertising campaign? I, I just don't see it. Oh, you're right. Now, uh, this is where I'm going to completely contradict myself. So uh, get ready. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> The, the the one thing to keep in mind is that there are no hard and fast rules in marketing. If somebody says, you know, X uh, all the time is a good thing to do, they're full of crap. The thing is, yes, some like sometimes or even a lot of time, uh, direct response campaigns can signal a low quality brand or company, but not always. It depends on the company and the market. Now, your example of lawyers, that's an example where I would say it's not a signal of low quality because it's for um, a service, it's for a person. It's not for a brand like a Coca-Cola, like a, a cola or something. So if, if, if someone is looking specifically for legal advice, you know, that they're searching Google for it. And obviously, you know, they want to find an expert who is advertising himself as an expert. So that's an example of where I would say direct response is good. Again, I, I, I kind of paint too much of the broad brush when I speak because I, I'll say like 75% of the time, judge response can look cheap. But again, yeah, it's not always. Your example is around the 25%. Okay, so good advertising, I guess, good advertising, good direct response. As long as, the, you know, as, long as it's good and it's not designed to annoy, that's, that's mm-hmm. what we're saying here. Right. I mean, well, here's my basic uh, point, and I actually can't, I can't take credit for it. I'm quoting a, uh, a man by, by the name of uh, Bob Hoffman, the ad contrarian, a great guy with mm-hmm. a great blog. Everyone should read it. Uh, he, his great line is that no non-web native brands have been built on social media or PPC or what have you, these direct response uh, advertising platforms. No non-web native brands have been built using these mediums. Uh, no mustards, no no Cokes, no beer, no toilet paper, no, no brands brands have been built on social media, um, social media advertising, or, you know, through things like uh, Google AdWords. 
And I think he's correct. So if you want to build a brand, which is not not necessarily not exactly what the lawyer is doing, but if you want to build a brand, then yeah, I would say you're, you want to look more into brand advertising and not direct response. Again, it depends on this on the exact context. In you know, in some in some areas, I'd be the first one leading the charge to Google AdWords. Uh, in some aspects, you know, for a different type of client or or whoever, I would say no, no, you know, you need you need a brand advertising campaign. But um, I'm speaking in generalities, just because obviously I can't preface everything I say with well, in some cases. <laughs> so. <Yep. laughs> Yeah, I get it. I, th- I think like one of the distinctions, and we, we had a previous episode which talked about the difference between brand and direct response. I think one of the things that a lot of our listeners are, are into is like they need money next week or something like that. So <laughs> a brand campaign possibly, you know, it has its benefits, no doubt, but sometimes you, you just have to go the direct route, don't you? I guess we've kind of got away from the whole GDPR thing, but oh, you're making sorry. really... <laughs> That's well, I actually, can can I can I come full circle? Full circle. Yeah, let's that? do it. Let's do it. Right. So basically, um, what GDPR I believe is going to do is going to force more marketers to move away from direct response or do dataless direct response and move mm. them back toward more brand advertising, uh, the brand advertising part of the of the promotion mix. Because if we're going to work in a world with you know, worst case scenario, no personal data, or maybe even just a lot less data, you know, we're going to be less effective with direct response than perhaps we would be with a brand advertising campaigns. Um, but again, uh, I'm not, I don't know for sure. We're all going to sit in our toes, or at least I will, and see what happens on, <laughs> May, on May 25th, 2018. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? I'm wondering if we're going to go, you know, marketing has become so data driven and I know that, you know, look at people like Ogilvy and whilst they ran tests, a lot of marketing in those days was was really art, wasn't it? It was art rather than science. And when you're running a newspaper ad or something, you don't have time to run 500 different split tests and you don't have time to measure the response in real time and do all this optimization. Perhaps we're going to go back. I know you don't like to go too much in the future, but perhaps that that sort of thing is, is due a bit of a renaissance. It could be really interesting. Right, it could be, and again, I'm I'm, I'm quoting Hoffman. I always like to give due credit uh, where it's due. Um, he he had a great line uh, once, where he, uh, recently, where he said, "We've always had information in marketing, but now we have data." And the difference is that data is people's personal data rather than just mm-hmm. information on the market. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a, a big distinction that maybe we'll maybe we'll see ourselves losing again that personal level of data and just having uh, general market data instead, like, again, like uh, Ogilvy and everyone had in the past or not. Who knows? Who knows? What a a fascinating topic. And thank you so much for joining us, Samuel. Where can people find out more about you? And of course, book you for the next keynote. Uh, You can Google Samuel Scott. Uh, My website, I think, is first or second now. There's also a famous British painter with that name from like the 1700s. But yeah, you can use... uh, just look for Samuel Scott on Google or Twitter is probably the best way to reach me quickly uh, or Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> a nice direct response call to action there at the end of a lovely brand building episode for you. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's why I like the whole promotion mix. You can do both direct response and brand advertising. <laughs> exactly. That's when everyone's happy. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Samuel. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. 